writing the book, actually, it didn't take me very long to sit down with pen to paper to write it. Mm. But um, I've been the director for the Hill Neighborhood Center and its archivist for five years. And so I've been marinating in all of this stuff <laughs> for all of that time. And I was invited to write it um, in January. Um, the other authors just didn't, uh, didn't have the time or the wherewithal to be able to continue through because it is really a daunting, daunting project. But I had all the resources that I needed to write it at my fingertips. In fact, I'm the one that archived them, so I knew exactly where to find them. And so I was able to put them together. And and I intentionally wanted to do as broad of a picture of the hill as possible. So instead of going, like, in-depth into people, I I thought that I wanted to characterize the whole neighborhood and what makes us work and why we're still such a successful neighborhood. Welcome to St. Louis In Tune. I'm your host, Arnold Stricker, along with co-host Mark Langston. St. Louis In Tune focuses on issues that impact and connect the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Marie Alexander is a fourth-generation Italian-American living in her great-grandparents' home, which has been in the per- Piricelli. Purcelli. It's got. I, we had a Purcelli in Lourdes, and I want to ask her if she's any relation to them. Okay, the Purcelli family since right. 1907. Right. She walks a half a block to her job. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, yeah. Where she is the director archivist of the Hill Neighborhood Association, and she has written a new book. It's entitled... The Hill, St. Louis's Italian-American Neighborhood. Lynn Marie, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. All right, so is it Purcelli or what is it? Yeah, I think I pronounced it wrong. Uh, well, it's Percelli. Percelli. A hard C. That's a hard C. I'm way off. Yes. So do you speak Italian, Lynn Marie? Oh, I wish. Unfortunately, it's one of the ways that our grandparents and great-grandparents wanted us to assimilate and to become American citizens. And so they sent us to school where we were taught English, and the old language was considered to be um, something to look back on and not to look forward to. So now we realize that we would have been better off had we been learning Italian the whole time. But we still do know the occasional phrases, and um, quite a few of us do continue to take Italian classes. Um, hoping to be able to communicate at least somewhat in in Italian. Now, did your uh, parents speak, or wh- when did it kind of break off? Your grandparents, or when was it? My grandparents were completely bilingual. Uh, my great grandparents didn't speak English hardly at all. My my mom was um, she could speak Italian as long as her own grandmother was alive, but she kind of lost it after her teenage years because again, people were, had, were stopped. They stopped speaking it on a regular basis, like as a language of commerce or of um, just getting along on the hill. Now, I noticed in your book you, you do have some Italian phrases that you mention in there on one of the pages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Talk about some of those. So when we go down to eat down on the hill, we can, we can say some of those ones that are actually appropriate. <laughs> Well, yeah, there, it's a lot of fun. The, the, um, some of those, though, are also, funnily enough, in dialect. So some of the words are actually um, from the Sicilian, are derived 
from the Sicilian dialect, and some are derived from the uh, Lombard dialect, which are the two main uh, population sources, if you will, on the hill. Um, so, for example, uh, Amaya, the, the men's T-shirts, the white men's sleeveless T-shirts. I mean, my family, we still call it Amaya, or Abadeta for the hat. Um, so, so we still use some of these words um, in our regular language, even today. Um, and then some of them are, um, uh, my family is Lombard. Um, Joe DiGregorio, who wrote the foreword for it, his family is Sicilian. And so the, the one, uh, Vathine, um, where it tell, you, tell, you tell your kids to go away because they're bothering you, uh, that was not a, a word that was cu- uh, familiar to me growing up. Because you were probably a really great child. So you never heard that. <laughs> like you. <laughs> like you, Arnold. <laughs> so, now, you, you, now, my brothers, on the other hand. But, <laughs> they heard it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, you've got a background kind of in uh, history, working with uh, the Neighborhood Center and also just uh, doing some work uh, in uh, the Kansas City area. Am I correct? Oh. Yes. I, I actually have um, two masters in history. Um, the one is in international relations from a British university, and that was a long time ago. And my more recent was in modern European history from uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City. Mm. And I also was an adjunct professor in several of the community colleges and colleges in the Kansas City area. But after my dad passed, um, I, we just thought it would be better to move back to the Hill. So we, we are in the family home. And it's one of the rare place, one of the rare plots still that have two houses on one plot. So wow. my mom lives in the back house, in which she oh. she grew up in that house, oh. and I live in the front house, which was her grandparents' house. You know, so it's kind of nice to be close, to keep an eye on her. You know, she's doing really, really well. She's very healthy, but you know, we look forward to the day when she might need some help. Yeah, boy, I I have to say there there's a lot of construction going on on the hill. It almost breaks my heart a little bit to see some of those shotgun homes. They're, they seem to be taking them down and then building these new, very large homes, you know. I guess there's yes, a lot of that yes. going on there. Yes, it, it causes um, quite a bit of distress, especially with the older older folks mm-hmm. who, um, you know, they grew up in these shotgun houses and they're very sentimental about them. Um, on the other hand, some of the houses were in fairly bad shape, I mean, because they're old. Um, so some of them, it, it was better for the investor to just tear it down and start new. So it's, um, regardless of how you feel about it, it's just a fact of life. Right. And we don't have any sort of uh, real preservation efforts going on, because that's a whole new can of worms to try and get into historic preservation for buildings. Right. It is. And one last question on that, though. People are not taking two houses and putting one house. They're pretty much staying, I think, on the original uh, plat, aren't they? So the houses are... Yes. Yeah, which is good, I think. Yeah, so instead, what the original footprint, I know of at least three houses that they've, tear, they've torn the whole thing down all the way through to the basement, and they've rebuilt on top of that same plot. Great. And often have gone up three stories. So they mm-hmm. have a full basement and then three stories on top of that. 
so uh, it, it makes for an interesting house, and I don't know how long they're going to be able to <laughs> stay with it when the kids go go out, and they're going to have to become retired, but right. that's for the future to hold. Right. But in the meantime, um, it's a great way to make the most of space, mm-hmm. and, and I have to give credit to those builders cause, because they do try to stay at least within the general theme of how the shotgun houses looked. Mm-hmm even though they're brand new. These houses are brand new. Right. Yeah, that's really important. You know, your your mother is actually living in one of the, I guess, original granny pods then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I guess it is. Don't tell yeah. her that, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you've, you've uh, lived there. You kind of were raised there. You moved away for a little bit but came back. What's the... What's the drive to, to do this book? It's, and folks, you really need to get this. It's the, the book called The Hill, St. Louis's Italian-American Neighborhood, a great what, what's advertised as a coffee table book. But, you know, books shouldn't be on the coffee table. They should be read. You know, <laughs> they shouldn't just sit there. And there's, I, I was really uh, astounded at the, the diversity of the topics that you went into and, and the historical aspect. What was the drive behind getting the book together? Well, I, I, the writing the book, actually, it didn't take me very long to sit down with pen to paper to write it, mm. but um, I've been the director for the Hill Neighborhood Center and its archivist for five years, and so I've been marinating in all of this stuff <laughs> for all of that time, and I was invited to write it um, in January. Um, the other authors just didn't, uh, didn't have the time or the wherewithal to be able to continue through because it is really a daunting, daunting project. But I had all the resources that I needed to write it at my fingertips. In fact, I'm the one that archived them, so I knew exactly where to find them. And so able, I was able to put them together. And, and I intentionally wanted to do as broad of a picture of the hill as possible. So instead of going like in-depth into people, I, I thought that I wanted to characterize the whole neighborhood and what makes us work and why we're still such a successful neighborhood. Well, I think you did a very good job of that, and carrying carrying that forward to where we now, like when we go down to shop or when we go down to eat on the hill, and you can catch some of the history that you have uh, talked about and why the hill was a, a very self-sustained community along the way. So start us out uh, historically a little bit about the organization of what we know as the hill, and and then I have another question related to that. Um, just a very, a kind of very brief um, uh, historical description. The the French, the French Spanish owned the Louisiana Purchase back and forth with monarchs and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to go into that part. But um, Gratiot, who got this league of lands, it's thirteen by thirteen square miles from King's Highway West, and part. So the hill is part of this Gratiot Square, as are other neighbors, other neighboring. Um, uh, ethnic communities around the hill. And when he developed it, then he had investors come in and they discovered the clay. And that's it. We're geograph- don't, no, ge- yeah. geologically <laughs> blessed <laughs> with uh, this fabulous clay. I mean, some of it's like world-class clay that we really can't claim with, but we've, we were able to mine it and to produce with it, which is why you see so much brick. 
and it's um, it has various colors, it has various attributes, which make it extremely desirable and versatile. And so that's when we needed, um, uh, in order to exploit the clay mines, they brought in cheap labor. So the Germans were here, of course, freed freed African Americans after the Civil War. Freed men were were here, and then they they went to recruit in Italy, and they brought in a lot of Italian neighbors. Uh, a lot of laborers, and they settled here on the hill as a community, first of bachelors, and then they started to bring over families, and then the church evolves, and the school evolves, and the community as a whole evolved. And when you have that many people working, then you necessarily need to build houses and provide services like groceries and cleaners and furniture stores and all of that. So we were indeed a, self, a self-contained neighborhood for a good 40 or 50 years, in, in which people at that time in the early part of the 20th century, they did speak only Italian, and they, they kept close to the customs that they knew from Italy. And those that Italian influence was, was continuously refreshed with new immigrants coming over. Um, so some of the immigrants came over as late as 1970. So that's why we can still claim that, we're such, that we have such an Italian influence, because our immigrants really, um, in the big picture, aren't that old. And the ones who did come first, their families are still here and, and have multiplied. Uh, I'm always amazed at how well uh, networked we are and who's married to whom and who's cousins with whom. And, I mean, at some point, everyone is somehow, some way, legally or blood, related to each other on the Hill. <laughs> now, and, and speaking, so about, mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking about the Hill, where does that name come from? Ooh. Obviously, it's a hill. Um, <laughs> yes, it is a hill. And if you've ever tried to ride your bicycle up Sublette Avenue, you would know exactly why it's called a hill. <laughs> <laughs> but um, at, at the top of the hill, at um, the corner of Arsenal and Sublette, which was where the, the former state hospital was and where the tennis courts of Sublette Park are, that's the highest point of, of the city of St. Louis. Really? And so if you start there and you work your way down to Manchester, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll see that it's definitely a hill. And even when we go for walks, you know, it's, you have to choose. Do you want to go up Marconi or do you want to go up Sublette? Because one is steeper than the other. So wow. it feels how, how, how frisky are you feeling today and which hill are you going to climb? Yeah. But it, it, is, it is indeed on a hill. Now, one of the things I think that you really discuss quite a bit in the book is the difference of the northern Italians and the southern Italians and how the dialects and how the yes. uh, palate and how those kind of met on the hill and then how they evolved to finally get along and, and merge a little bit. So just discuss that a little bit with us, if you might. Sure. The, it's, you couldn't get farther apart in the country of Italy from Lombard, which is in the north by Milan, that's the Lombard region, and then the southern island off the boot, off the boot of Italy, uh, Sicily. And so those two different geographic regions are what are generally represented here on the hill. And, the, I mean, one is a mountainous culture and the other one is a Mediterranean culture. And everything from that, I mean, the food, the language, the daily customs, how you survive winter versus, uh, or, you know, four extreme seasons versus, you know, a Mediterranean season, all of that influences how you interact with the world. 
And so necessarily when you scrunch those two groups of people together, at first they're going to have to, they're going to have a hard time just trying to get along and trying to figure each other out. And especially that there was the language barrier because the Lombard dialect is incomprehensible to the Sicilian dialect. And so that language barrier was one of the, one of the major things that kept the uh, original inhabitants apart. But they all spoke Latin in church, and um, in church you left your ethnicity at the door. And so the church really is the, the common ground from which all the rest of the cooperation spread. And the proximity, um, there's mixed, we would call it a mixed marriage, <laughs> mixed marriages between a Lombard and a Sicilian. I mean, they were occurring in the 1920s. You know, people make it sound like we had this long, ongoing, internecine war going on the hill between the North and the South, but that's not the case. There was intermarriage, and it was frowned upon by some, but accepted by many others. Now, there was there were even separate like uh, with the church being the unification mm-hmm. of both groups when services were over and maybe there was a a dinner or something there were separate halls for for both groups kind of what I remember reading in your mm-hmm. book is that correct um, there there were halls that were more frequented by one group than the other but they were never exclusive to one or the other the Palma Gusta which which was across the street from the club hall, which is still standing today on the corner of Marconi and Shaw. That was the, that's the, it's a huge uh, three-story, big, big, big square building, and a lot of wedding receptions were held there. But it's a, it's a big place that can easily accommodate 500 people. Uh, Palma Gusta was a smaller version. So if you only had a couple hundred that you were bringing to your wedding reception, you might as easily go to Palma Gusta. So I was kind of surprised to find that my own grandparents, both of whom were Lombard, actually had their reception at Palma Gusta. And ironically, my grandfather was one of the men who helped manage Big Club Hall. So, but they didn't have a big family. Neither, my, neither of my grandparents had a big family, so they didn't need a huge space. And so the, the, while there were separate activities that catered more for, to one or the other, they were never exclusive from one to the other. Gotcha. Now, I know that the, many of the activities related to the church kind of spilled over into the community as it relates to activities like for in sports or uh, kind of social kinds of things. And sports, when you know, when you talk about sports in St. Louis and the Hill, you automatically think of a couple people, and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the most notable, of course, is Yogi Berra yeah. and Joe Garagiola, who grew up across the street from each other, and now um, their houses are on the renamed Hall of Fame place, because it also includes Ben Pucci, who was a professional football player, and Jack mm-hmm. Buck, of course, um, announcer, sports announcer, very nationally known sports announcer. So all, all four of them uh, at one point lived on Elizabeth Avenue. But Joe and Yogi grew up, they were contemporaries, they were the best of friends throughout their lives, um, Yankee and Cardinal. And Joe uh, went on to become a broadcaster as well as uh, on Good Morning America, I believe, and also as uh, guest host for Johnny Carson's show. And Yogi went on to win 10 uh, World Series rings as manager and player. So those are our, our notable uh, baseball players. However, we also have um, uh, our soccer team, which we're quite proud of, uh, the American team in 1950 went to Brazil, 
And on that team, five of the men were from St. Louis, and four were from the Hill. Hmm. And all four of these men were well-respected, well, I mean, throughout their entire lives. Um, and they helped have an upset defeat over Britain, who would have thought, in the first, one of the first rounds, and sent Britain home packing with a one-to-nothing uh, defeat over Britain, or England, I should say, that's the proper way for the team's name, England. And so that's our sort of claim to fame. And then there was a, a book written about it called The Game of Their Lives and a movie as well, which was filmed on the Hill and actually had some of the players as elder characters of themselves in the, in the movie. So those are, those are big ones. But I have to say we have so many other nationally known uh, soccer players. We have All-Americans coming from the colleges around here, mm. um, nationally ranked bocce players. And the Bochi Club has an international tournament every year, and so so it's not just about baseball and soccer. We're we're a pretty athletic group as a whole. I, I would say, and and the parades that you guys have up there, and the celebrations, they're they're unbelievable. They know how to party those Italians. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, yes, anyone over anyone over a certain age remembers Hill Day fondly. Oh yeah. <laughs> with the buckets of beer flowing freely. <laughs> but um, Hill Day was, was um, it had its place in time, and we still do have celebrations like that. We have the wine walk. Mm-hmm. We have the Giro, which is the bike races. Um, we have the soapbox derby. Oh. And we also have our Italian Heritage Parade and Christmas on the Hill. So we, we do manage to have quite a few celebrations um, because there's such a great way for us to support our, our community organizations and also to get the community involved in keeping um, camaraderie amongst people who maybe not have, are new to the neighborhood. It's a way to involve them back into the neighborhood. We're talking to Lynn Marie Alexander. She's the author of The Hill, St. Louis's Italian American Neighborhood, and it's by Reedy Press, and it's available. Uh, where can where can the book be purchased, Lynn Marie? Well, uh, we you can purchase it through the uh, Hill Hill Two Thousand Neighborhood Association website, which is hillstl.org, or also through Reedy Press's website as well. And you're going to be having some book signings coming up, uh, hopefully, yes. if uh, COVID cooperates, correct? Yes. Well, this weekend is the, the one. I'll be having one, hopefully, outside at Erzy's Market on Southwest. Hmm. And, then, and that's uh, from 11 to 1. And then the next weekend will be at Oliva, which is an event place. Uh, restaurant, but also an antique mall. Hmm, very good. And that will also be from 11 to 1. Um, and uh, I think that will also, we'll make accommodations for that to be COVID-friendly as well. Lynn-Marie, Mark had a question he wanted to ask you. I do. Before Arnold gets okay. into he has a Arnold has a list of great questions for you, but <laughs> one of my favorite, okay. one of our family favorite places is Ragazzi's. Uh, my, yes. My uh, brother-in-law, who just passed away, absolutely his favorite. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. right across the street from Ragazzi's was this big factory that they've torn down. And now it's a huge, yeah. empty field. What is, uh, for those of us that visit the Hill and don't know what's going on there, what is happening there? Well, there is, there is a housing, a whole new housing development going in that area. Mm. Uh, so the... It, uh, 
uh, it will be um, single-family homes that McBride is building, hmm. and uh, the McBride, the local contractor, they're building these single-family homes. I believe there's going to be um, over 30, over, well over 30 homes that will be there, single-family with garages mostly, and that space then is going to be a whole new subdivision for the hill. Wow. So the the reason that some of it is still quite empty has to do with the phases in which they will be building. So right now they're concentrating on the west side right. of that huge plot of land, and you'll see a lot of new houses going up there. And eventually they'll go back to the east side and the north side where they'll be filling in with other projects, all housing projects. Okay. I know. I had noticed last time I was on the hill the new homes on the west side of that, and I wasn't wasn't yes. quite sure if it was expanding there, but wow. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that, that factory had been sitting, uh, honestly, for 50 years. I mean, as, as long as I can remember, it's been sitting there kind of empty. Hmm. And finally, we were able to, uh, able to negotiate and get, the, the purchase, uh, get it purchased and then um, planned for development. So it's um, it's the the factory has a certain a certain nostalgia just because it's always been there. Right. But um, new is good as well. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and, and nice new families will be moving in. That's yes. always good for the neighborhood. Now define yeah. the hill neighborhood, if you would. The boundaries. In, when the boundaries, um, it is to the south is Man- excuse me to the north is Manchester, to the west is Hampton. To the east is Kings Highway, and on the south side, it follows southwest to Columbia. So at the old Columbia Theater, southwest goes south again, um, but you follow by Shaw School. You follow Columbia, then down to Hampton. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Because I had a a question about the uh, sublet and arsenal where the um, social evil hospital Yes. Used to be yes. located. I, I blew Mark away yes. when we were talking about that. Right, right. Yes, you've done your homework. Yes. <laughs> it's what, it's, it used to be right where the tennis courts are now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and did you know that Josephine Baker was actually born there? No. You know, a musician, a, a, a singer, Josephine Baker my, from the 1920s. My. Who sang Strange Fruit. That was one of her more popular um, songs. Wow. So no. that's part of more of Southwest Garden than it is the Hill area. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes, it is. Yes. All right. All right. Now, I don't think any conversation about the Hill would be complete <laughs> unless we talked about the Great St. Louis robbery. Uh oh. And we're not talking about <laughs> the, the movie. Bank robbery, right? Yeah. <laughs> what a great story. I mean, it really is in so many different ways. I mean, uh, you couldn't have written it any differently than it actually happened. Um, and I, I, it's unfortunate because there's the Post-Dispatch has, so if, you have, if anyone um, really wants to do their homework and get some really great pictures, the Post-Dispatch reporter, his name was Jack January. What a great name in and of itself. No kidding. But Jack <laughs> January is like on King's Highway, and he, he's got the police scanner going, and he hears about the bank, uh, bank robbery, and he shows up, and he snaps all of these amazing photographs. And so I, I, I truly believe that that's what led... Um, Hollywood producers to come and want to make a movie about it because the visuals were just so amazing. So um, four men decided that they were going to rob Southwest Bank, which um, in a whole different story is uh, was a, quite an influential bank, not only in the Midwest but across the country. 
And so it was a vel- it was a well known bank. And these four men were not from the St. Louis area. And so they went in, and you know the, the, the classic stick them up, hold them up kind of routine that you see in the 1950s bank robbery movies. <laughs> and the, the the guy in the getaway car, who in the movie ends up being Steve McQueen. So Steve McQueen's sitting outside waiting, and then the ringmaster, um, he's he's you know taking making everybody do what they're supposed to be doing, and and then you've got a guy on the telephone pole who at the time was literally fixing the telephone line. So he's up on the pole and he's calling the police, and then the main teller who's got the, the bank robber in front of her, um, she's she's kind of petrified, but then. Uh, other tellers are are hitting the alarms, and then there's another guy working on the phones in the back, and he's calling the police. <laughs> so they're getting all these calls, and the two policemen that show up are also just on King's Highway. So they showed up with like two minutes again, and they um, so the, the the robbers come out, and um, they they have they help have a hostage, and they take the hostage, and they're they're trying to use her as a shield, and there's bullets flying and everything, and so the. <laughs> They, the woman, the man who, who, the hostage is the woman, the robber who's got her um, decides he's going to make a break for it and pushes her down, both, and she, with such force, she broke both of her wrists. Oh. But, so she was okay, though. I mean, that was the, that was the worst that happened to her. She didn't, nobody got struck by bullets. But the one man um, realized pretty quickly that he was going to be um, uh, caught, and so he committed suicide. Um, the other man who the, who was the ringleader, he lasted in jail for not not a very long time, um, months I think. And then a, a third man um, got on the witness stand and then broke down in tears because he he knew he was just so busted on so many different levels. <laughs> so he's just pleading for mercy. And the getaway driver, who happens to be a young kid who was a quarterback for um, one of the uh, a it premier uni- uh, football university, and I'm not going to name it because I'll probably get it wrong. But anyway, <laughs> he um, he had he was had gone rogue, gone wayward, if you will, and he panicked and he left. So that was the Steve McQueen character. He he scoots out, so the guy's got no getaway car. So <laughs> by the time they're out there, bullets are flying and everything. They finally apprehend the the men, the three men that are remaining, and they ca- they catch up with the the getaway would be getaway driver later. So it was uh, it was just a really really interesting story, and the commis- the police commissioner of St. Louis, I.A. Long, uh, he was a colonel in the military, um, retired, and he was the police commissioner at the time. So he shows up at the scene, and lo and behold, he decides I think I'm going to buy this bank. Which he did. <laughs> so then he he actually bought the bank, and, and it became this amazing, amazing community bank, which pretty much everybody on the Hill used. And so they had so much money coming out of their ears because everyone was putting their paycheck deposits in, into the bank, and they had, then they had to, of course, turn around and cash the checks. But it was... It was um, wow. A real, real community bank. So everyone felt very, very involved. You know, when the when the bank got robbed, and and then of course when there's the casting call for the movie. You know, people are going down and they want to be extras in the movie. And it was kind of cool because one of the one of the um, police officers was actually portrayed himself. He got a cameo as, of himself oh portraying God. himself in the bank robbery. And his granddaughter, I'm told, uh, actually now works for that same bank. It's been taken over by a, a larger corporation, mm-hmm. but the connection is still there, wow. that the granddaughter uh, actually still works um, in that bank. Wow. So it's all, it's all quite a good, good fun story. It is. 
It, wow. it seems like life is uh, more exciting than what could be uh, written uh, just from somebody's imagination. You know, who would believe that that would ever be uh, something that would <laughs> would turn out like that? Or that somebody named Jack January would be right down the street. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? That is great. That's a great story. It's a wonderful story. Now, I'm sure you've uncovered a variety of interesting things being at the Hill Neighborhood Center and kind of being the archivist. And what are some surprises you have unearthed that maybe are in the book or maybe didn't make it to the book that, I don't maybe you couldn't say them? Or, or Hoffa. <laughs> she oh, found Hoffa. Well, no. <laughs> to, to keep everyone's um, uh, privacy and dignity intact, <laughs> I, will, I will say this, though. Uh, I, I am absolutely still astounded uh, by the, the, the theatrics, the theatrical abilities of some of the people who are still living today when they were uh, young, and the, the 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 little stage shows that they put on, I mean, these people they wrote the music, they wrote the the lyrics, they wrote the the play dialogue, they made the costumes, they they choreographed the whole thing, they rehearsed, 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 they built the sets, they performed it, they marketed it, they sold the tickets, they got their friends and families to come and watch, and they raised money for the church. And they did this like several times, and and so I was coming across these, and I was, I had no idea. I was absolutely astounded. But then I started. But these guys were kind of hams, you know. I mean, I know them, and so it was kind of funny because one of the men who is the brother-in-law to a good family friend. This is how it goes on the hill. Brother-in-law <laughs> to a good family friend, and I've known him since I was a little girl. And so I'm coming across these pictures, and here this man is dressed in drag, and I'm like, what? <laughs> He's all of like you know twenty something years old, and they, these the, some of these men on the hill decided that they were going to do a spoof of a fashion show, and so they dressed themselves up. I mean, they made a dress out of a, a rose basket case, <laughs> or another guy had a dress that was full of tea bags so that he could look like he was a teapot, and <laughs> that was their fashion oh, show. And they raised money for it. <laughs> it's absolutely hysterical. Aww. And I'm like, how, how, what, what possessed you guys? And she said, the one the woman I was asking, she's like, oh, well, you're just having a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I am almost envious of that kind of camaraderie and that oh, yeah. kind of cooperation and creativity and just really wanting to have a good time. Um, so I think that was my biggest and most pleasant surprise. But that really speaks of the time, you know, we're, we live in a different time where electronics have taken over a, a large part of our lives, and, you know, it, it's interrupted personal relationships where we can talk one-on-one, where we do have, you know, people may disagree with me on this, where we do have that creative juices that, you know, go out and play, and you come back when it's dark, and maybe you were, you know, right. playing ball or, you know, dressing up and doing goofy things like that. But it, it was uh, it was a different time, and uh, I really appreciate the memories that you have really infused in the book to uh, highlight uh, and and really show the Hill neighborhood being a, a great neighborhood in in the city of St. Louis. Thank you. Yes, it, it is. It really is. Um, I'm extremely proud to be um, a member of this community. I have a question from a listener. I got text. <laughs> They're asking. Um, Ask about how uh, the hill affected Highway 44 
I guess there's a jog in Highway 44 right before Hampton. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when they were building it. Is there anything to that, Lynn Ann? Or yes, Lynn there is. Yeah. Uh, yes, between, um, um, it's actually even west of Hampton, but um, it, the, when the highway came through, it cut off about a quarter of the hill. Um, from, so it, it cuts through the, the direction of the highways east to west, and so it cut off about a quarter of the northern portion of mm-hmm. the hill. So it took a, an half of an entire city street. Um, so all, that's about 90 homes wow. were taken, um, essentially through eminent domain. Mm-hmm. And I, that is such a painful... I mean, I, I still talk to people who whose houses were taken, mm-hmm. and it's such a painful, painful thing for them because that, that was... They, those houses in that block was their identity. Mm-hmm. And not all of them were able to find new homes to live in on the hill. Right. So there are some people who would had, have moved into, say, for example, Joan of Arc Parish, which is to the south of us. And that was the closest place they could find. And as a result, they, they really became then, in a way, disconnected. So one man was telling me that he he used, to, he used to drive down to the hill from his house every day just so that he could stay connected with his friends and, and the people that he, would, he had been used to seeing. And, and a, another woman, um, she still suffers a lot from just the memory of having something taken mm. and not being able to fill that gap. So, so there's that human tragedy part to it. And um, the other part to it, though, is the the ability of the neighborhood to rally around itself and to show up when we needed to show up to preserve what we had. So this goes. This speaks to um, our former Monsignor Polizzi, Salvatore Polizzi. He he was the interesting and instrumental force behind organizing the highway because they they at one point wanted to actually put the highway exit onto Mackland right by Bear Park mm, which wow. would have, that would have just destroyed the neighborhood oh, yeah. so they were able to keep the exits at Hampton and Kings Highway but then able also to um, put a lot of pressure and raise money to build a bridge over the highway mm-hmm. so that the the people stuck on the north side could at least drive over or walk over to church. Right. Uh, you know, so they weren't so isolated. So we have a car bridge as well as a pedestrian bridge that it, that connects the north and the south part of the hill over Highway 44. Um, so it, Monsignor um, himself, he was able to organize within the state. So he took four, four busloads full of not mostly seniors because they had the time, but concerned citizens, to uh, Jefferson City and, you know, to demand to be heard that they, they wanted to stop this, this highway coming through or at least give us an overpass. And then they took the fight to Washington, D.C. Wow. And luckily enough, the transportation huh. secretary, his last name was Volpe, so it, ours, ours, our John Volpe is V O L P I, but his the transportation secretary is V O L P E. However, he was still a sympathetic ear, and the fact that we raised fifty thousand dollars as a community just to try to convince them that we were willing to pony up a little bit of money to be able to get this bridge uh-huh. that caught national attention. So you know the highway department, in, in a sense, got a little shamed <laughs> for destroying the community. <laughs> so so you know um, this. The very sad and tragic part is people leaving their home, but uh, or being moved from their home. But the the part that we can celebrate is how 
how that galvanized us as a community in the 1960s and 70s when a lot of urban neighborhoods were really starting to kind of disintegrate. Mm-hmm. And so that, in, in a way, it was kind of a backward blessing because it gave us something to fight for. And then when we had, when we had something, we realized we had something and we needed to continue to make sure that we improved it and safeguarded it. Thank you for that, listening. That's well if you enjoyed what you heard, please take time to like and share this and other episodes of St. Louis in Tune that can be found on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. Thank you for listening. We've been talking to Lynn Marie Alexander. She's the author of The Hill, St. Louis's Italian-American Neighborhood. The book is available at hillstl.org, hillstl.org, or readypress.com. Check out the website at Reedy Press, and they have some information on where you can see Lynn Marie as she's going to be signing books. And, Lynn Marie, thank you for coming on St. Louis in Tune. We greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the Hill.